Set your coordinates and lock in your location because it's time for the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the meeting place to talk sports, pop culture, and everything in between. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sports Refuge Podcast. I'm Earl Holland, editor of the Sports Refuge Sports Blog. This is the show where guests will talk about sports, recreational activities, pop culture, and everything in between. Here's a little bit about me before we get started. I'm a former newspaper sports reporter who co-founded the Sports Refuge as a way to not only remain active in sports journalism, but to talk about sports without all the debating and hot takes that have plagued the sports world. Now on to our guest. When I first met Jeff Fleetwood close to a decade ago, I was a sports reporter in Salisbury, Maryland. I had the good fortune of covering Fleetwood as a member of the Del Mar High School football and baseball teams. Since then, Fleetwood has moved on to play Division I baseball at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore before becoming a teacher and high school baseball coach at Mount Vernon High School in Alexandria, Virginia. But what's most interesting of all is his role on the groundskeeping crew of Major League Baseball's Washington Nationals. In July 2018, Fleetwood and the Nationals grounds crew had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take part in MLB All-Star Game festivities at Nationals Park, which I hope to discuss with him in a future interview. This interview, recorded in late 2017, will discuss Fleetwood's athletic background as well as how he got into teaching and how he became a part of the Nationals grounds crew. Without further ado, here's my interview with Jeff Fleetwood. Right here with me, I have a special guest, Jeff Fleetwood. He is a member of the Washington Nationals game day groundskeeping crew. How are you today, Jeff? Good, Earl. Thanks for taking the time to be a part of this. I saw your role in being part of something like that. That is so unique. It's the closest you can get to being on the field aside from playing and umpiring. Exactly. And it's it's perfect for me coming from a baseball background. It's a great gig. But like you said, it's the closest thing to being on the field with the players. It's a great experience. And you do that in addition to uh, teaching, right? Over in Fairfax County. And I got lucky enough to... Uh, get a part-time gig with the Nats and uh, this is I'm going on my third year this coming season. So how did it all come together? It's such a rare opportunity especially with your day job. Well when I moved over to the area three years ago I knew I needed something to do in the summertime and uh, I went online and researched uh, just I got lucky I guess I looked at the Nats because I knew they were right there and I knew they were hiring game day groundskeepers. And I figured with my background with baseball, and I, uh, I put my name in the hat, and uh, I got a call a few weeks later, and everything else is history, I guess. So it was luck of the draw, as they say. What is your routine on game day? Well, as I've learned throughout the years, there's two different situations. A regular day where it's the sun shining, it's a beautiful day for baseball. And once we get there, I mean, we're, we're straight to work doing, you know, pregame stuff. I mean, BP's getting ready to finish, so we're doing different jobs between chalking lines, breaking down bat practice, uh, raking, getting the playing surface ready for first pitch. There's a second situation where it's a rainy, terrible day, and uh, John Turnauer, our head guy, he'll usually call us in early, and that can be any time during the day. We're prepared to go out. Most times we're there, you know, first thing in the morning to dump a tarp, get ready with uh, conditioner if there's wet spots on the field. So it all depends. It depends on the weather most of the time, which is what I've learned. Um, you can't control the weather. But uh, John Turnauer and his staff, they do a really good job of uh, with us when we need to be there and what, especially what our jobs are. That's that's a day in the life right there of a groundskeeper. What did the training process consist of? Uh, it had to be a lot of stuff you, had, you guys had to learn. Right. Well, uh, that, that was like the one thing they ask you in the interview process is like, what's your experience with, you know, working outside? I did a lot of these chores uh, when I was playing college ball at UMS. Um, so I had an idea about some of the stuff 
like tamping tamping clay for mounds and home plates. Something I had background experience with. It's actually one of my favorite jobs doing it at the Nets. But uh, a lot of it's on the spot training. Like John, Matt, Seth, and Trevor, the full time guys, are are very patient with you. They're very good about stuff you don't know. They're very trustworthy guys. Um, very patient, and uh, I, I know I know I've learned a lot in the last few years with them guys. So it's always a good thing. You played college ball. You played high school ball. What is the feeling like stepping on a field like that at Nationals Park? Oof. Well. You and I both are Orioles fans by heart. I can tell you, like, the first time I stepped onto a, a big league field like that, and you've got guys like Bryce Harper, Dan Murphy, Kershaw, you name it, like the big-name guys are out on with during batting practice or pregame, a couple feet away from them. That's a shock to you. But it's like I tell everybody, the, the greatest experience to me being an Orioles fan was when I went to the first playoff game back in 2012 and the experience that was, but... I mean, I've been lucky enough with the Nats to see a couple of playoff series the last few years. And then lucky enough this year, we have the All-Star game coming to D.C. So imagine what that's going to be like. So normally, how long is a work day at Nats Park? Uh, how long can that stretch to? Well, for a typical 7 o'clock game, we're there at 5 o'clock. And depending on the play of the game, we're usually leaving about 11, 11 o'clock or midnight, usually. How is the traffic, especially around that area? I assume that it can be hectic, uh, especially once you hit rush hour. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, saying, like, where I'm at in Alexandria, getting to the park's actually not that bad. I have a 20-minute drive from where I am. Metro is the metro, and I'm going to leave it at that. I've avoided the metro at all costs. I will say leaving the park, like, once we're, we're done, everything at night is a piece of cake, except... The last two Game 5s we've had at Nats Park in the playoffs have been awful commutes getting home. Usually a two- or three-hour commute those last two Game 5s. But the Metro is the Metro. They always make announcements at like 11 o'clock at the stadium. You know, last train out of the Navy Yard leaves in 10 minutes. And it sucks because we lose a lot of our staff that use the Metro. I was going to ask you, that game between the Nats and Braves that happened earlier this year where the game was prolonged, what was that like? The Metro only stays open to a certain amount of time. How did you guys end up having to deal with something like that as you guys had to wait and then for the game to finally start and then the game to continue past midnight? Well, what a lot of people don't understand about rain delays in the major leagues is it's nobody's decision within the organization. It's all comes from commissioner's office and the higher-ups that like make the call, whether to call a game or delay it. The Braves game was actually interesting because it started late. I can't even remember what time we got done, but that's the other thing, too. When we fully staffed for like a regular game, we usually have 15 on with the four full-time guys, and then we have a few interns during the summer. On days when we're expecting rain, we can usually we usually have as many people as we can have. You know, there's a lot more to do when you're rolling out a tarp when it's going to be raining. We actually we actually don't make it out too bad. We only end up losing like a handful of guys, but uh, we get whatever we need to do to get done. What is the biggest perk of being uh, part of the the game day grounds keeping crew? Well, that's for me. I know actually a few weeks ago, right before I came home for the holidays, we were finishing sod work because um, we Nats Park's getting a whole new playing surface. And, uh, you know, stuff like that and, and like working 80-some home games, as you learn that that field's part of your own, that's something I take to heart, especially being with a baseball guy. I love the game. Now, you had an opportunity a lot of people haven't had. It's to play Division One baseball. What is that experience like? 
And how does it differ as compared to high school? Man, I think the big thing is it's just the adjustment from, you know, a high school setting to a college setting where you're taking classes on the road in the season. It's a real big grind. And it's all it's all a big learning curve. But I mean it's a grind that first year college and I think that's what takes it takes a special person to get a, a college and play any kind of sport. Being able to get through your freshman year and uh, adjust to the way of living. What would you say was the highlight game of your uh, college baseball career? Oh, man. Uh, that's a good one. Sophomore year at the MEAC tournament, we played Dell State in the semifinals to go to the MEAC final. It was like a back-and-forth game, which we ended up winning, I think, 7-6, to six, bottom half of the ninth. It was a really, really, really good matchup. Uh, we ended up losing to Bethune Cookman in the final, but it was a good experience to get there and get a taste of what it's like to play for a championship. I remember first covering uh, you, especially when you played uh, football at Del Mar. You were part of that team that started out 0-3 and then railed off 10 in a row to win the state title. Oh, yeah. That's still probably one of my favorite moments of you know my career and anything was you know that journey we had that in 2009 with that team and Fish and Staff and, and the town. At any point, uh, seeing that you were probably seconds away from possibly going 0-4 and then just having even more of a hole to dig out of, what was that like and what do you feel played a part in that turnaround? I, I want to say, because I remember our fourth game was at Archmere, we won in overtime. I'd have to give it all to you know, Coach Perrin and his, his staff. They didn't give up on us. I think we all came together and balled into, you know, we're not 0-3 bad, we're, we're better than that. And, uh, you know, we just listened to our, our staff and – we trusted each other, and I mean, the rest, um, I think that's a testament of, you know, what Coach Hearn brings to the table. When did the realization hit, winning that game, winning the championship game at Delaware State, you guys had to wait a day because of the snow, and it pushed everything back. What was that realization like once that final buzzer sounded? Um, me, I was a senior. It's the last game I ever played football-wise. I think it hit me until we got to in town at the food line. The whole town's waiting on you for a parade. I think that's when it all hit me, to be honest with you. With a town like Del Mar, it's uh, something you would see out of a movie, especially you see in those movies about high school football, those Texas towns where it's uh, not just an obsession, but it, it's a way of life. To be a part of a small town with such a, a large backing for high school football, what did that mean to you and your teammates? I mean, Del Mar, you know, we're one of the smallest schools in the state, rich in tradition and football. I can't even remember how many, you know, Southern Division titles we have. But at the time, I think we're tied with... After this recent championship, we have seven titles now. It's one of the top two or three in the state in terms of football state titles. And I think that just says enough. You wouldn't think a, a small school from, you know, the, the southernmost part of the state would be able to do something like that in football. But it, it means a lot to come from a school like Lamar and, you know, be a part of one of those teams that went all the way, went the odds against them. Yeah, it's something I honestly won't ever forget. Comparing where you live now in Virginia, Northern Virginia, how does that compare the football to the state of Delaware? Well, that's the, that's the funny thing. Um, I'm not going to compare, you know, skill levels because Virginia's, I think, a lot. It's tremendous, like, the amount of skill positions that you see compared to, like, what you see in Delaware. The one thing that, that you know, that bothers me about Virginia football, especially with the amounts of people that you have compared to little old Delmar, is the turnout. Stadiums over in the state of Virginia, but... We're lucky if we're filling 60% of the stands compared to any game you go to in the state of Delaware. You're packing the stadium, and you've got people standing on the fences. And that was the biggest culture shock for me. What other sports did you play in addition to football and baseball at Del Mar? Um, 
I wrestled for a few years throughout. I mean, I wrestled through middle school. Then once I got to high school, I, I kind of got away from wrestling and just stuck to getting ready for baseball. Because we used to have Diamond Dreams, which was located right there on Falski Lane in Delmar. That's where we went every day after school in the winter. Just we got ready for baseball. I lifted a lot. And then, obviously, my senior year, I wanted to do something else. So I uh, picked up basketball my senior year. I was a three-sport guy my senior year. From comparing the cardio needed in wrestling compared to basketball, which involved more running? I would definitely say wrestling. I mean, those two-minute rounds, you know, all you're doing, all the moves you're doing, it really takes a toll on you. So I would definitely give that that round to uh, wrestling. Were you in a stable weight class, or was it one where you had to cut and gain weight? Holy cow, that's a good that's a good question. Um, I think in middle school I was I was wrestling like 178, 181, somewhere in there. I didn't really have to watch my weight necessarily. I know a few matches I, I might have had to drop a few pounds, but had, I mean, some of those weight classes, those, those little guys, they, I mean, they go days where they don't eat or drink anything. So, no, I wasn't, I guess, watching my weight. I had a few days. So When I wrestled in high school, one of the biggest things I saw is we had a bunch of people, three people at one weight class. So they all had to wrestle off to decide who well, got at that weight class, who had, to, who had to cut weight, and then who had to move up to the higher weight class. And I always thought that was an interesting thing because you know that either you're going to win this match and you're going to be at this weight, or if you lose, you get to be lucky, I guess, if you can call it lucky, that you have to eat and put some more weight on while the other person has to run around and do the plastic bag and everything else and in order to cut that weight so they can drop down a class. Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, I was lucky enough to, to be a heavyweight. My only regret is I didn't do the cardio enough, and the larger you are, it, the harder it is to keep the cardio going. It can, it can wear you out. You ever have one of those periods where you think, if I knew now that I knew back then, playing a sport or anything like that, things would have been so much different. Do you have one of those moments? Actually, no. Um, I actually had a good support system growing up in both baseball and football. Good direction. I had good uh, good buddies that played before me. I always offered good advice. And I'm, you know, I'm happy with how you know things turned out, especially with football and baseball-wise as well. Content with how things went. It's just a process. You got to trust the process, working hard towards that process, your ultimate goal. Staying out of trouble, I think, is the biggest thing. I had a lot of buddies that could stay out of trouble, and I think that's that's the thing that's the biggest issue with people nowadays is trouble with things they want to do, and, you know, it affects them down the road. Actually, that brings me to the next question. What is more frustrating, seeing a teammate who has the talent, the potential, get dogged by injuries or just not living up to that potential? Oh, well, I think... And they both are very difficult. Um, but I think when, you know, when you got somebody riding, you know, a hot streak in any sport that gets stuck with an injury that keeps them out long periods of time, that's always tough um, because, you know, they're giving it all they got. I would definitely go with the injuries as well. It's kind of how I feel about Derrick Rose. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no luck with the injury book, so. Where does your fandom lie? What are your favorite teams? I mean, me and you are both Orioles fans. The Nats are kind of growing on me a little bit. Um, I'm a DC. I guess I'm a DC sports guy because we didn't have football in Baltimore at the time when I was born. So I've been a Redskins fan since birth. I'll root for the Wizards whenever they reach the playoffs. I don't really watch the Caps in the playoffs, but they're there. Um, and then in college, I'm all blue and gold to the Notre Dame 
Those are my teams. I'm also in that same boat. Redskins fan, Orioles fan, Cavalier fan, Wizards fan. I've been watching pretty much all those teams for nearly 25 years. It's funny how time flies. And I can remember the first Orioles game. It was July 1994. Cal Ripken hit a grand slam. It was a Sunday game on Channel 13. And I remember it exactly (laughs) that day. They were playing the Angels. And... Sometimes it just takes a hold and then it sticks with you for a long time. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you ever have times where you sort of got a little, I guess, fed up with your favorite team and just had to walk away for a little bit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Always happens. Yeah, I remember there was a uh, stretch for, like for me in like the early 2000s. I couldn't watch the Redskins. I couldn't watch the Orioles. The only thing I really watched in sports-wise was the Wizards because Michael Jordan was back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I get the same way with I get the same way with Orioles. Um, I feel as a fan, especially with the Orioles, and uh, I'm at the mention. I'm a, a big Tiger Woods fan, so. Um, but I, I get the same way with the Orioles. Like I feel like whenever I get the chance to watch them, they're never playing good. I feel like when I, they ended up they ended up winning or doing something special. I always feel like I'm bad luck when I watch them. So I get that as a fan as well. I was definitely like that, the Redskins. My luck, they won a couple of games when I haven't even watched, and I tried to turn back in just to just to think, okay, I got to at least check this out. Got to stick with them there. Has there ever been a time you left from a game early thinking, okay, this game is in the book, and then find out the whole outcome changed? Um, I've actually, I've never left a game when one of my teams was winning, but I did a few years ago. I want to say it was two years ago. Notre Dame was playing University of Virginia, in Charlottesville, and Notre Dame ranked in the top 10. Virginia, of course, was unranked. Notre Dame was losing, I think, by like five or six late in the fourth quarter. I mean, they were playing terrible, and uh, I was ready to go. I was just so fed up with, with everything. I was like, I'm ready to go. I remember my girlfriend, Chelsea, was just like, oh, no, we bought these tickets. We need to stay. And then, like, she said, you know, if this happens, we'll leave. I was like, okay. Well, that thing happened. We got ready to leave. And that's right when, right after that, I think Notre Dame got a turnover. And that's when Deshaun Kaiser, quarterback for the Browns, threw a, a 65-yard bomb to Will Fuller, who plays for the Texans, for a game winner. And it was absolutely unbelievable how my emotions flipped the script, I guess, as you would say. So I've had a few of those where, you know, teams losing and just had enough. And You had the opportunity, I believe you uh, went to the Army-Navy game, the most recent one? Yep, me, my dad, and my sister. Now we've been going the last five or six. How does that compare? I guess you can call it the pageantry that is involved, especially with everything going on, both sides, Army and Navy. Do you have a rooting interest on, on either side? You know, I tell everybody that that's, there's one game you want to go to before you die. That's the one you need to go to. Um, it is, it's really something you'll never forget. Um, but the thing I like telling people about that game, which I think is so special, is you go to a regular sporting event, you know, baseball, football, whatever. You get the occasional fans that are just jerks. You know, want to fight, nasty. You don't get that at Army Navy. I mean, you get, you'll be sitting next to a Navy fan if you're an Army fan. If you're a Navy fan, you're sitting next to an Army fan, but you never have any issues with anybody. You know, they're all there, they're all there for the game. And that's, that's, that's it. And, you know, it's, it's really nice. I mean, if you go, Earl, you need to go. Get there early, tailgate a little bit, you know, with all the Army Navy flags flying, going for the march ons. That's really something special to watch as well. Also, when you know, staying at the end of the game and watching, you know, both schools sing the whether they're singing first or singing second, the alma maters. It's also very, very special. The toughest thing is I wouldn't know where my allegiance lies because my dad was a marine and my brother's in the army. So it's like I don't know who I'd pick. Yeah, honestly, we're we're all army. 
through and through. No, I always get, I always get the, why are you an army fan? You're from Maryland. I'm like, well, I doesn't mean I like Navy. My dad was an army, so get off my back. <laughs> Do you feel that the tie that people have to that game is someone knows at least one family member who's been in some branch of the military? Right. You know, I, I get, I get a few, a few friends that you know have. I feel like it's majority Navy people, but it's always hard to find army fans. Oh well. Yeah, that's one of the times I had talked to my brother. Yeah, like, yeah, we got to go to one of these games. I was hoping it'd be easier to go to Baltimore, but now living up in northern Delaware, it's, it's easier to go to Philadelphia. I mean, we're both proximity-wise. Uh, Philadelphia is 40 minutes, and right. Baltimore is an hour away. What's your favorite, uh, right. aside from NAS Park, what's your favorite stadium to that you've watched a sporting event in? Um me and my girlfriend actually went last year and went to a game at Notre Dame Stadium for football, and it was amazing. It was everything it was meant to be. What is it about of being there at, at Notre Dame, watching a game alive? What is it about it that made things so interesting? Well, it's just everything that you don't get on television, like the band, student section, uh, just the overall atmosphere. Of course, you went to the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, and one of the biggest drawbacks of going there was there was no college football team. I had always figured what it would have been like to have a football team there, especially those Saturdays where we could have been playing Delaware State, Morgan State, Hampton, things like that. Do you wonder what it would have been like to have gone to a school where it had that college football frenzy, the madness that would occur on Saturdays? I wish that was one thing I did have the experience in college. I wish I had, was able to go to, you know, football games on Saturdays. But, you know, it's it's a business, I feel like, in terms of college football. It's a business um, Eastern Shore couldn't afford. And that's a shame, especially from the history that we have in terms of, you know, previous uh, players before us and the teams that were before us. It stinks, but like I said, it's a business. They couldn't afford it. I know you teach. How did you get into the uh, field of teaching? What was the biggest thing that made you think I wanted to be a teacher? <laughs> I ask myself that every day. Um, I actually had a, a few of my uh, my older friends that went into the field of education. And then a couple of a couple of my high school really had a big impact on me to want to become a teacher. And you know, at the time, that was all I thought about doing was being a teacher. It's, it's worked out for me so so far. Um, I really enjoy the profession. Fairfax County has been good to me. Mount Vernon welcomed me with open arms, and I've really enjoyed my time there. What do you feel is one of the most rewarding things about being a teacher? I would say the relationships you make with kids. I work in a unique field of special ed kids, and uh, being able to make relationships with some of those kids that I established with you know friends or family and you know being able to connect. What is the one sporting event or activity that you want to attend in your lifetime? Well, the All-Star Game is going to get off my checklist. So the All-Star Games won. Um, I'd like to see a World Series before I die. And I think the number one thing at the top of my list would be go to an Olympics, whether it was winter or summer. Do you have L.A. sort of in your sights, especially seeing that it'll happen yeah. in like another 10, 12 years? Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine what it's going to cost, but, you know, it's going to be it's going to be an option. So we'll see. I know you've been able to attend uh, South Bend. You've gone to Nas Park, Oriole Park, uh, FedEx Field. Is there a stadium that you've always wanted to check out that you've been interested in? You know, I've always wanted to go to Fenway. I kind of feel the same way about Wrigley. Um, it's too old. Old, probably. I think Fenway's the oldest, or Wrigley's the oldest. Now in the bigs, um, I'd like to see both of them. You know, before you know, anything changes. 
Dodger Stadium, if you ever get a chance to go out West Coast, Dodger Stadium was a is a very interesting place. Just the view of it, just being able to see everything, seeing the skyline of California, the palm trees and everything. It is just the the view of it is is really an exciting one. And it's one it's a huge difference, I guess, East Coast, West Coast, and it's, it's more laid back and, and things are so different. Yeah, that's one of those places, definitely, if you ever get a chance to go on the West Coast to check out. Previous baseball season, right? Yeah, the summer of 2016, the Orioles were playing the that's Dodgers right. that, that week, coincidentally, and it just sort of worked out. And it's funny it's, it's funny going to some of those games where you see the 50-50 raffles. I think they raised about 50000 in their 50-50 raffle. I'm, I'm just sitting there just watching. It's like, wow. I mean, it's weird because the Orioles games, you don't see them. They don't do the 50-50 raffles. I was just shocked seeing a Redskins game where they do it. Yep. In that part, they do it every game. Half good to the, the Nets charitable foundations. I do appreciate you being a part of this interview. I, I felt with such a, an extraordinary job that you have as doing games day groundskeeping for the Nats that you get to see uh, so many unique things. And, and as you mentioned, working with the Nats and, and being around that area, you started growing a fondness to that team. Is it always once the Orioles and the Nats play, who do you root for? Oh, that's tough. Um, it's like I tell everybody, when, when the Nats are home in the Beltway Series, I root for the Nats. When the O's go back to Cannon Yards, I always root for the O's. That's a fair weather fan, but oh well. What's your opinion, DH or no DH? Uh, I, I always support the DH. Yeah, I, I feel a completely different style of uh, baseball without the DH. And being up here, all right. I see are Phillies games now, in addition to the occasional Orioles game. I feel like some teams, it's like you have to build a bench differently in the National League as opposed to building a bench in the American League. You feel like you have to have the one-speed guy. You have to have the utility guy. You have to have the backup catcher, and hopefully they can play multiple positions. You have to have the power bat, and, and you have to have the pinch runner. Yep. And that, that's the thing. I've, I've listened to both sides, National American League. I think that's one of the one things that probably hurt the Nats this year. I mean, you had a guy coming off the bench, and Adam Lynn, who was – he played in relief of Ryan Zimmerman. But I feel like if he was a full-time DH, imagine what he would have thought. You know, people have their opinions on it. Um, I'll, I'll always stick to the DH rule. Speaking of Adam Lynn, I, I was telling my cousin he's a Nats fan. First thing, after the walk – do you swing at the first pitch like he did, or do you just take do you take a couple of pitches? Oh God, um, uh, I think you got to take a couple. It's just one of those things. It's, it's a, a thing you do in baseball. But you know, he had his he had his eyes set on that pitch, and I guess the rest is history. And it's always funny. Uh, everybody talks about different play philosophies. Most people will say. At bat and going up first pitch, you're probably going to get a strike. Some people will just try yep. to milk the walk as they can. I've always been a believer of it's going to take three pitches to strike me out. You're going to have to throw as many as possible because <laughs> I'm not going to swing foolishly or be that aggressive. And I know everybody else will just say, well, first pitch might be the best pitch, might be the last best pitch. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, in high school, I was always first pitch guy because – I always tell my guys that I, I coach now, you know, 95% of the time in high school, you're going to get a first pitch fastball. Um, if, you, if it's middle in and it's something you want, take it. Guys in college, pro leagues, can, they can place pitches where they want it. They can throw different all-speed stuff where they want it, and it all changes. Um, I think in college I was more of a – it's got to be middle in, right, whether it's all-speed or, you know, straight stuff you've coached that has to be one of the most helpless feelings in the world while you're trying to impart wisdom and give lessons that you're not out there doing it that feels like that can be the most helpless feeling in the world yeah um you know kids are to that age you know they're learning 
you tell them to do one thing and they ended up not doing it, but they turn right around when you least expect it and they do something great. So, you know, kids are special. I think that's what's so special about the game. After playing baseball at the college level, how did you deal with the withdrawal not playing as much baseball anymore? Uh, you know, that's, I think anybody that plays a sport, when you find out you're not going to be playing it anymore, it's hard. Um, I know I've played a little bit of slow pitch softball here and there. I've played a league since I put I hung the cleats up. Um, you know, it's you can't do it forever. But I think that's a, a thing that kids should know now. Yeah, you know, that's what I preach to my kids all the time. I mean, you're not gonna be able to play this game forever, so you need to enjoy it while you got it and work hard towards your whatever you want to do. Well, Jeff, I do appreciate you being a part of this, and thank you so much. Yeah, well, I appreciate you, man. Um, best of luck. Uh, if you guys need anything. You know, feel free to be more than willing to do this again sometime. Oh, yeah, definitely. Looking forward to it. And that was my interview with Jeff Fleetwood, a member of the Washington Nationals grounds crew. Tune in next time as my guest will be Vanessa Junkin, the Assistant Director of Marketing and Public Relations for the Wicomico County Department of Recreation, Parks, and Tourism. We'll talk about how she got into running as well as her time in journalism. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. Tune in next time for more interviews on sports, pop culture, and everything in between. For more information on the show, go to the Sports Refuge website at www.thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. 